Welcome to the Intelligence for Your Life podcast. I'm John Tesh with Give Gerard, and today we are going to continue our conversation about something that uh, that Gib and I ascribe to, and it seems like every book that I download on Audible or everything that we read has to do with this. I think I think people are really exploring. Maybe it's because we have so many uh, um, distractions. You're yeah. Trying to find a process. For oh their yeah. Life. So there, so there are so many books, and they they're not all called the process, right? But uh, but but it really starts with with. Um, in fact, I just downloaded another book called Habit Stacking, uh, and one of the guys that uh, you and I both it, it really started it for us was that book, The Four Hour Work Week. Oh yeah, Tim Ferriss with Tim Ferriss. Yeah, and he's got a great podcast, and and then he's you know he went on to write uh, Tribe of Mentors, uh, basically just what what do all these people have in common, and uh, and so Tim has a list of the things that he feels like uh, you can use, uh, you can implement in your life to hack yourself into success. And the, the very first one, which I love, because it, whenever, it's, whenever it's simple, right, it's just right on, is um, start your day by making your bed. Yes. Well, look, I, I think the reason why the process, this concept is so hot right now is because the economy, the way the world works now has forced everybody to be an entrepreneur, right? We're all our own. We're all entrepreneurs right now. That's just... We have to be. It used to be if you got a certain GPA in school, you went to a certain college. If you went to a certain college, you got a certain job. And there were a couple exceptions. You're an exception to the rule. You didn't go to college for broadcasting. You got into broadcasting. There are a couple of exceptions going through for you baby boomers. But for the most part, you got put in a bucket based on your GPA. Right. And that kind of, you either went into trades or you went into, and that was sort of your path. And, and even for your parents, um, even more so for the greatest generation with those guys, they they really were in buckets. I mean, the the neighborhood you lived in, the size of the house you had, it was all assigned to you based on where you were in the economy from your early on, your early GPA, got you to the school, got you the job, and the corporate culture made you who you were. Right. It set your day. Right. It was right. exact. We are no longer in that world. People do not work for large corporations in the same way that they used to for thirty years and then retire. And the large corporations don't treat their employees the same way. It's a totally different platform. And so everybody is essentially, everybody's a hustler now. Everybody has a side hustle and a main hustle. Everybody needs to know how to be as optimal as, as possible because our productivity is so high with all, of our, with all of our devices and everything. We're able to get more done. I know it doesn't seem like that, but we're able to get so much done so quickly, communicate so quickly that we, we, we don't know how to value anything anymore. And so we're all trying to figure out, okay, how do I create something of value? How do I live a, an entrepreneurial life? And I think that's why this obsession with the process for all of us, why there's 90 books that are beyond just feeling better about yourself, but they're all about how to organize your day. That's why they're so big right now. Well, one of the, you, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, well, you, you lead me to, to think about a guy that uh, I hadn't planned on talking about um, on this podcast, but, but he always seems to pop up, which is our friend Ryan Holiday, who wrote yeah. Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and uh, one of my favorites which is uh, the perennial seller, how to, how to, yeah, how to create something that's, uh, that, can, that can sell forever. You know? uh, and so one of the things that he says is in, in the obstacle in, is the way, ego is the enemy, actually, is, is that we, because of the society that we live in and because we have uh, YouTube and we have Instagram and we have all the social media stuff and everything, we, we feel like if we create uh, a post on Facebook that we've actually created something right. and, then we, and then we quit. Right. And and so he you know, he, he, the way he put it was, if you squint, you can actually think of five of your Facebook posts as you're a writer, you know, and it's right. just and that and that that also dovetails into one of our other favorite books is Cal Newport's uh, Deep Work, 
Uh, and so we can talk about about that about that stuff as we proceed here. But uh, getting back to what Tim had to say about you know his top uh, list of of, uh, mm-hmm. of ways to uh, start your day uh, and to hack yourself to greatness, "Make Your Bed" is a, is the title of a book by Admiral William McRaven. Yep. Who was uh, three star? I think at least three, three and a half, maybe three star. I don't think they do. Ad, is that Yelp reviews? Ad, 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 <laughs> yeah. Admiral and uh, and I, I just you know I don't know. It, it started with his book started with a speech that he gave, um, and he's and when you you, you got to listen to this book because it's really amazing. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take you through part of this book, and then we should talk about why making your bed in the morning can actually change everything. And I'm pretty sure that your friend, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, makes his bed in the morning, too, right before he starts working out at 4 o'clock. That may be part of his routine. It may not, but he's definitely a routine guy. Yeah. So from the book, uh, Make Your Bed, uh, with one final flip, the quarter flew high into the air and came down on the mattress with a light bounce. It jumped several inches off the bed, high enough for the instructor to catch it in his hand. Swinging around to face me, the instructor looked me in the eye and nodded. He never said a word. Making my bed correctly was not going to be an opportunity for praise. It was expected of me. Mm. It was my first task of the day, and doing it right was important. It demonstrated my discipline. It showed my attention to detail. And at the end of the day, it would be a reminder that I had done something well, something to be proud of, no matter how small the task. Mm-hmm. Throughout my life in the Navy, making my bed was, was the one constant that I could count on every day. And as a young SEAL ensign aboard the USS Grayback, a special operations submarine, I was berthed in sick bay where the beds were stacked four high. The salty old doctor who ran sick bay insisted that I make my bed every morning. He often remarked that if beds were not made and the room was not clean, how could the sailors expect the best medical care? Right. It's I very, mean, very, very SEAL behavior. Look, it's also very, uh, you know, John Wooden used to, uh, he'd, he'd get, he was the best college coach at the time, right? Uh, maybe the best college coach of all time, but at the time he was the best college coach. He got the best recruits, the best the best basketball players from around the country. And and in a game like basketball, a lot of times the kids that come in are are already good enough to play at almost any level. So he has these great players. And what does he do for the first week of training camp? He teaches them how to put their socks on. That's amazing. Because he's going to put them through. And these are the old school basketball shoes and socks. This is not like the newfangled seamless thing. But he knows. He knows the drills he's going to put them through. He knows what he's going to do to make them better players. That's good. good. But if their socks are on wrong, then they're going to get a small irritation the first day. And the second day, that's going to turn into a blister. And by the third day, they're not going to be able to keep up with the rest of the team because their shoes are going to be hurting their, their socks are going, to be, are going to be hurting their feet and they won't be able to move in the same way that they could have otherwise. So in order to make sure that the entire stack of things, that's how small the detail was, the entire stack of things that he wanted to accomplish, the first thing you had to do was put your socks on in the right way. Otherwise, the whole system was going to fail. That's the kind of small detail that, that happens first thing in the morning that that will affect your whole day. It is the princess and the pea, but we're all princesses. We can always feel that pea. And that was uh, that was John Wooden's way, and I think that, that works for this for this idea of making your bed. Well, and, and isn't that really, if you, if you take a look at it through uh, um, movie culture, it's really what we remember Rocky for more, uh, you know, certainly in the first third of that film was running. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and getting in shape. And because yeah. if, you, if you don't have, it's like compulsory exercises in, um, in, uh, in gymnastics or mm-hmm. in, in figure skating. They don't let you skate to music for the first five years. Right. You know, and then the other thing, wasn't that what Mr. Miyagi had, uh, what's his name doing? Oh, yeah. It, it, paint the fence. Right. Wax the car. And right. we go, wax on, wax, wax off. off yeah. uh, paint the fence was a, was, a, was a block. 
And then it was, um, I forget what the third one was, dang it. But yeah, he had him do these, these household activities. I, I mostly remember Wax On, Wax yeah. Off. Yeah. Everybody remembers it. Cause it and that that turned, was the movement, right? And that turned into a way of blocking right. that, me, that, yeah. that uh, Daniel's son hadn't learned yet. So he gets all frustrated. He's like, what am I going to learn some karate, Mr. Miyagi? Yeah. And then yeah. He, he finds out, you've been learning karate. Right, right. And I, I've told you this story a million times. You love this story. But when I was at NC State, and I was playing ball uh, in, you know, in the offseason. You had to take, back in the day, you don't have to do it now, but you had to take, inter, uh, uh, you had to take PE. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up late, of course, because that was me. And the only thing left was, was fencing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and for, for three months, right, all it was was just sort of parry, repost, mm-hmm. lunge, and whatever. And they wouldn't let you fence until the very end. And then as soon as they do it, you, 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 you go crazy. And you're like, obviously, you're not, you're, you should be ready, but you're not. You're like flailing around, right. <laughs> swinging your sword everywhere. But it was all about the compulsories. And also when you're learning an instrument, you know, the same thing. Um, my, my teacher, Mrs. Andriani, would not let me play, even learn a song for, gosh, two years. It was just uh, playing uh, scales. Scales yeah. and hand and exercises. Yeah, just yeah, to get, exactly. your, yeah, get your fingers up to it. And you're, you're a better player for it. Yeah, because I can always fall back on that. Right. You know, I have that, I have that technique. I know how to hold my hands. Um, anybody can learn a song. Look, anybody can learn a song on any instrument, except maybe the violin and cello. Those are really hard. But, <laughs> right, right. but uh, almost anybody can learn to play a song if you right. memorize all the stuff, but right. to be able to be a uh, musician, you have to learn the basics, and that's, and that's that's the big difference. That's the difference between playing a song and being a musician. Mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss's next tip for greatness is to meditate every day, and, and I have a feeling that you started meditating be, uh, because of him, or, or was it because of an ad you saw for Headspace? When did you get started? Uh, you, it was a part of this whole worldview that is so popular right now. And look, I I, um, I, I understand the the uh, antipathy towards towards uh, towards meditation. I understand why people don't like it. It seems... Oh, that's so zen. That's what it, they... Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. seems like a frou-frou new age thing to do. Like, you know, if you're, if you're a religious person, it seems like it would be against religion. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, a man of science, it would seem to be some, one of those, again, uh, undocumented, un, uh, unbacked up by science ways of... Uh, unsupported uh, ways of, of improving your mental health. And it, it just seems out there. But everybody... Everybody that I like who is a serious, focused individual believes in some form of getting quiet. Uh, and, and I think that what, what every religion has a, every old religion has a culture of prayer built into it. And prayer and meditation are, I don't want to say they're identical, they're, they're Patty Duke, they're identical cousins, right? They may not be twins, but they're cousins. It's this idea of getting quiet, this idea of just focusing on something other than your own thoughts for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Some people are crazy. They can do it for an hour. I would, I would literally go nuts. But it's, it's separating yourself from your thoughts, from your own personal thoughts, your own self-focus for a minute. And that is where the real value is. And one of my favorite things about it is that despite the fact that it seems like new age hooey, there was a, an MIT guy, or no, it was a 538. There was, 538.com is the website by Nate Silver. It is all about, and it's all about the science of things, the, the statistics behind things. And one of his reporters—they were the only ones that predicted the Trump victory, right? They—they they didn't. They actually oh, didn't. They didn't. Oh, wow! And it was a big, and it was a big learning curve for them. Oh, they, interesting. They didn't okay. at first. Um, but they predicted a bunch of other stuff insanely accurately. Right. But they had one of the guys t- go through, and he was trying to—I think he was an MIT trained guy—he was trying to debunk uh, this this obsession that we all have in pop culture right now with meditation, with mindfulness meditation in particular. 
And in the process of trying to debunk it, he became a convert and he meditates every yes, day. Yes, yes. Because he felt the difference in, in what it does for your brain. And everybody that studies it, every, every neuroscientist, every, every person who just studies it anecdotally has found that it's really good for your brain. And I'm a big fan of it. Getting quiet, so it could be journaling, it could be anything. It, it's a big, big deal. Now, here's the other thing that it does. And I learned this from this book that I'm in the middle of right now. And this book is so deep, I, I have to keep going back and, and, and starting chapters over and over again. It's from... Doctor, you and I haven't talked about this much. Doctor Joe Dispenza, mm-hmm. and uh, and his book is "Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself: How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One." Mm-hmm. So his 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 uh, feeling is that the purpose of meditation is to stop your monkey mind. Yep, is to stop your uh, rumination, right? And so when when you just focus, what I do is I I, I focus entirely on my breath. I'm not, I I haven't been doing the uh, um where the like, like your bot your no I I, I started with guided. And then it, it was distracting. And so I tried a couple of other, other things. There's, there's a method where you sit in a chair, right, with your, with your palms up. And mm-hmm. then you imagine, the, you imagine the room filling slowly with water. Oh, the visualization it, techniques. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also the, uh, what is it, like your, your body inventory where you concentrate yes. on your bottom of your feet. But what it does is, it, because, because what Dispenza is, talks about in, the, in, in this book is, and it, it's like two or three of his books are, are like this, is that our, one of our biggest problems is we're so far in the, in the past that we, we, mm-hmm. we, we keep playing that, uh, that, that, um, uh, that CD of our lives continues mm-hmm. to just keep playing, you know, the DVD. And that when we, if we wake up in the morning and we're worried about all this stuff, then we end up playing that, uh, that, 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 uh, that DVD again. And we live the same. It's like Groundhog Day. We live the same thing right. over, over and over again. So he, he's a big fan of meditating first thing in the morning. I know you like to do it yep. in, the, in the middle of the day. So here's a quote well, from- I like uh, to do it in the middle of the day because the morning is dominated by- if Oh, I'm, you can't. Yeah. by my children. you got three kids under, yeah. under six and a half. Uh, so here's a quick quote, Gib. I'll get your opinion on this from Dispenza's book, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Psychologists tell us, he says, that by the time we're in our mid-30s, our identity or personality will be completely formed. This means mm. that for those of us over 35, we have memorized a select set of behaviors, attitudes, beliefs, emotional reactions, habits, skills, associative memories, conditioned responses, and uh, perceptions that are now subconsciously programmed True. within us. Those programs are running us. Think of it like a computer because the body has become the mind. This means that we're going to think the same thoughts. We're going to feel the same feelings, react in identical ways, behave in the same manner, believe the same dogmas, and perceive reality the mm-hmm. same ways. About 95% of us who are by midlife uh, is a series of, uh, ooh, I'm, I'm sorry, about 95% of who we are by midlife is a series of subconscious programs right. that have become automatic. Driving a car, brushing our teeth, overeating when we're stressed, worried about our future, judging our friends, blaming our parents, not believing in ourselves and insisting on being chronically unhappy, just to name a few. And so his whole thing is you got to break the habit of, of, of being the person you are right now if you're not happy with that person. Well, and, and I think I, I also, we, we, we talk a lot in, on the radio shows and, and on, on the podcast about improving yourself. And uh, I, think, I think improving yourself does not imply a deficit mindset. It does not mean that you're, so even if you are happy with where you are right now, most of the happiest people are constantly trying to grow and learn. So whatever you are, wherever you are, that you, whether you're happy and content or not, don't you, you, you could be better. You could, and better is such, a, is such a weak term. You could be in a happier state. You could, be a, you could grow more as a human being. And, and that, is, that is a growth mindset instead of a deficit mindset. So instead of thinking, well, I am happy, or if you're unhappy, then great. This is a great way to change that. But think of it as I could always be best. 
and I'm not, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry, I can always be better because best is impossible. Right, right. Your best self is, is, is something you'll never actually achieve. You'll only achieve slightly better versions of yourself as time goes on. And this idea that we belong to our habits, that we are this, this pre-programmed automaton is, is true. I mean, think about it. Think, with, think, about, think about how weird it is to take a different route home from work. Right. If you, you yeah. drive that route every day, how hard would it be to go a slightly different way? Your brain would fight against it at every step of the way. It would, it would take so much mental energy. That's what it takes to break the habits of everything that you do, every response you have to your spouse, every reaction you have to your kids, everything that you say to your boss. It's all, it's all pre-programmed based on whatever you've perceived or whatever you've already done because our brain can't handle making new decisions every time. That's why. So I think if we're focused and intentional through meditation, I think doesn't... Uh, well, doesn't uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Dispenza doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doesn't he advocate for for small doses of certain medications of certain drugs that that uh, that were very popular in the sixties? Doesn't he? I, there, I, I don't think that's just another guy that I was reading. I'm not sure if it's him. Yeah, he. Yeah, there's one of these guys who who believes that that if you have if you really need to reset your body then uh, your and your mind, you should uh, there should be some sort of prescribed. Um, dose of mushrooms there which you. is not i haven't heard, heard joe talk about that yet but it, it may i don't know maybe in, in, in another book but mindfulness and intentionality go ahead I'll, I'll get rid of this go ahead mindfulness and intentionality is such a great way like through meditation or what have you of breaking those habits and and getting yourself out of your head i've heard i've heard something else that our conscious mind is good at two things our conscious mind is good at reliving the past and worrying about the future that's it. It cannot be. It literally, right, right. our brain has such a hard time being in the present. What mindfulness does is it gets you into the present. And if you do it first thing in the morning, you will be focusing on minute to minute on reacting and seeing the world for what it is at that moment, not reliving the past or worrying about the future yeah, at any yeah, time. Yeah. One of the things that Dispenza is, is, is saying in this, um, in this chapter that I'm in right now, which is, is pretty controversial, I, I, I would think. And it is that, you know, hey, listen, if you're just not happy, and I'm at a, I'm at a place right now where because I'm trying to you know juggle the stuff that you and I do every day, and I'm also trying to you know write this book, and uh, I, and I'm also trying to manage my time to in, to the point where I can be available, you know, when your kids come over, mm-hmm. and I can be mindful, I can be in that, you know, right. Uh, and I'm sure you face this you know more acutely than I do, just because you're in it all day and night. Um, but uh, so you know, he's <laughs> his advice, right, to somebody like me is. Um, who is the person you want to be? Who, mm-hmm. who is somebody that you admire? And then just go be that person. And people are going to be like, and especially people in churches are going to be like, well, wait a second. That's not what God wants for you. But, but if, you, if you look at the people whose lives, and it's, it's funny because I'm thinking through this, and I read a David Blaine book. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I've watched every interview that you've sent me on the, you know, with, with the, the, you know, The Rock, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Rick Warren who wrote Purpose Driven Life. And so I'm thinking there's not one person, right? But, I, but I, so I've created this sort of, the super person, right? Uh-huh. It's a combination of all these guys. I want to get up at three thirty in the morning. I want to work out like right. the, you know, like like the I don't want, I rock. I want to have a purpose driven life, like you know, like uh, you know, Rick Warren. I want to, uh, I, I want to, I want to hack my uh, my body uh, nutritionally, like Tim Ferriss, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So that's what I've been trying to do is sort of make this uh, make this <laughs> make this person up. But um, it is, you know, it's it's like what Billy Kidd said to me when I was uh, covering uh, downhill skiing with him back in the early early eighties for for CBS and. And he's an amazing, you know, he was the best at the time, the best American downhiller. And he, he was the color commentator and I was the play-by-play guy. And, uh, and I, we're, out, we're out in the middle of, you know, in the Austrian Alps. And, and I said, Billy, you got to give me some ski lessons. And he, and he just said, 
He said, I, I don't do that. He said, just listen, I'll slow down a little bit. You just follow me for two hours and do everything I do. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really having a mentor like that, you know, fig- figuring out, uh, you know, who, you know, who you want to emulate, you won't become that person, but you'll become your, your part of that person. You know, your, your example of that person. Right. You're, you're, yeah. Well, you didn't become a, you didn't become a, a professional skier, but you learned how to ski that right. day by following him. Right, right. Exactly. I, 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 you hold his, your body like his. Um, and then, you know, the next tip from, we've talked about what meditation and also make your bed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, you know, the next one is uh, exercise every, you know, every, every morning. And if, yeah. you don't, if you don't get it done in the morning, there's a good chance you're not going to get it done. And, and, so true. And so I looked up a, a, you know, a quote from one of your favorite guys, uh, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, and he, you know, he, he, he has some great quotes. Uh, and most of it is just, just be a badass, you know. But yeah. th- this one is uh, a little more eloquent. Success, he says, isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Yeah. Consistent hard work gains success. Greatness will come, you know. And, and there's even a, a, a guy named uh, uh, Eric Thomas, who is an, a motivational speaker, who just says, you know, um, greatness is on the other side of pain. And, and it's, it's, it's true. You know, you can try everything. You can have your own YouTube channel. You can have, I don't know, you can write a song and it can be a hit once, but if you don't have that process of, of just working and that's, and and listen, the rock was what he was, a he got kicked out of the NFL. Right. And, uh, you know, his knee blew up and he wasn't sure what he was going to do. He quit WWE. And so he's just been that guy who is, I think that's why people love him so much, right? And especially you, is because you, you look at him and you go, you know what? I mean, he's huge. Okay, I get it. But I can see all the work he's done. Yeah. It's not magic. I can see it all. That's, that's one of the things that Arnold Schwarzenegger always... And, and look, bodybuilding, um, bodybuilding gets a, lot, a bad rap. Bros, meatheads, what have you, you, because they're in the gym, all the gym rats, whatever you want to call it, it gets a bad rap. And and a lot of people I hang in some intellectual circles they will they will downplay bodybuilding and and as you know idiots as as you know dumb jocks mm-hmm. that's sort of the the archetype that we have in our heads to anybody that thinks that it doesn't require a, a great amount of mental energy and a great amount of mental acuity to be a bodybuilder try it yeah give yeah. yourself three months and try sure. to try to give yourself a six pack and a body yeah. that that yeah. of under ten percent body fat just try it. It is so hard and requires so much attention and precision that you will be amazed at, at what those at what at what it takes. And Arnold Schwarzenegger used to have a great a great comment about that, about your physique is something that has to be earned. No one can give it to you. It can't be inherited. It doesn't come. I mean, genetics a little bit of it comes from your parents, but it can't be gifted to you from your parents. The difference between uh, the Mr. Olympia, Mr. Universe, and 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 then the guy right below him is nothing but his own work ethic. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is what it is, and yeah. that's that's one of the great things about lifting weights is it is a tiny accomplishment every single day, and it requires consistent work. And that's the thing about the Rock. You look at the Rock, and nobody thinks, well, he got up this morning and just did a couple of sit ups, and now he's is the day. You can see that for years you cannot have a physique like that. You cannot unless you're getting in the gym every single day for years. That is the only way to get that kind of size. You and I have talked about this before because we belong to the, the to the same gym chain and, and uh, Equinox. And and what, what happens is if you get up early enough, it's harder for you because you got, you know, you and your wife are, are, mm-hmm. are both working and it's it's tag teaming trying to figure out who's going to be in charge of, of what on what day. Uh, I have no excuse. I, c- I can get to the gym at five o'clock when, mm-hmm. it, when it opens. And when I get there at five o'clock, I don't even have to work out. No. I could just go home. 
Yeah, you know, because it's like I, I just feel like I've accomplished something by getting there. I right. mean, I, I, most of the time I do work out yeah, because you're there. <laughs> yeah, you're up. But, you got in the car. But, you're there. But, it is, but, it's, but it, what this is a, I mean, it's a tip for people who, if you have a routine like that, and even if you just get on the treadmill at the gym, or even if you just go outside your house, and every day for for thirty days for a month. You walk one mile fast, mm-hmm. right? You're everything. You're, everything is going to improve. You're going to end up with a raise. You're going to end up being a better parent. You're going to end up, you know, creating more stuff because if subconsciously you've hacked your brain into into what uh, uh, Admiral McRaven was talking about is that you it, it, there's there's consistency in your life, right? And that yeah. actually fits into something we've talked about before that Tim Ferriss has talked about. Um, one is we, we talked about this I think a couple podcasts ago where one of Tim Ferriss's advice is. It, uh, one of his advices. One yeah, of his, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> one of his tokens of wisdom is that you should do the same thing for the first 80 or 90 minutes after you wake up every single day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that, that gives you consistency. And the consistency gives you a sense of control over your day. Which, by the way, is one of the most psychologically motivating things. If you feel like you can control the outcome of things, like you have control over your life, that is a huge deal maker in your brain for how you're going to approach the day. And exercising... If that's the first 80 to 90 minutes, if you make this commitment, if that first hour that you're awake is about exercising, getting ready to exercise and, and, and having your coffee, that consistency itself, that element of control will begin to pay dividends in your mental health. You know, our, um, our dentist our, and one of our close family friends, uh, Dr. Mark Helm, I was just there the other day, um, you know, for years and years and years, he gets up at 3.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. okay? One of the, one of the uh, most famous popular dentists in in uh, Southern California. Yeah. Right? such a great guy. Uh, and he gets up at three three and works out for two hours every day. So one day it might be swimming, next day it might be just floor exercise, next day it's weights. And and how ma- how many Ironmans has he finished? He's he's done a bunch. I mean, and look, I run marathons and I love. Mar- I think I think psychologically, whether you whether you are in it to win your age group or you're in it to just. Uh, to finish, I think I think distance running and distance uh, and endurance exercise is a great psychological will builder. I think you I think everybody should try it at some point in their lives uh, to do at least a 5K or a 10K. Big yeah. fan of it. Yeah. So I do marathons and I talk to him about it every time I'm there. And he knows the history of every course that I've ever yeah, run sure, and yeah. better than I do. Um, and he and he I, know I talk about my times and it's so embarrassing because his times are just so much better well, he's, my, he's my age at yeah, every yeah, single yeah. point in his life his times have been better than mine and i mean he's i'm talking about a guy that wins his age group at the iron man this sure. is not a guy yeah. that just does the yeah. iron man yeah. he wins you know when he was 35 he would win the 35 plus for the right. iron man right. and, and and but he just does this he's not an elite athlete he was not an elite athlete no. in, in in college but he just does the same thing every mm-hmm. day and he shows up at eight o'clock in the morning at the office and begins his day which started Four and a half hours before right. that, you know, when, uh, you know, e- exercising, which brings us to uh, another one of our favorite authors, who is Laura Vanderkam, who wrote mm-hmm. uh, "What the Most Successful People uh, Do Before Breakfast," and Great she book. wrote also "What the Most Successful People Do at Work," a short guide to making over your your career. And so, a couple of quotes from her, and I, we, yeah, we, given I both recommend this book. Successful. I'll put pe- a link to it in the show notes. By the oh, way. good. Yeah, uh, successful people know that small things done repeatedly have great power. Now, this also. We're talking exercise, right? But this also describes another t- two of our favorites. Um, uh, the author of, uh, of all the Harry Potter books. 
Oh, J.K. Rowling. Uh, J.K. Rowling, right? Turned down by, I mean, literally hundreds of mm-hmm. publishers, but just wrote every day, right? Mm-hmm. And especially Stephen King, another book that we would recommend, given me. It on is writing. Uh, on writing, give, uh, his process of writing and also his memoir, Stephen King's. And he, every single day, he'll either write or read for six hours. Every, and, and, and doesn't matter how many, look how many books he puts out. You know? An insane amount. He had to be stopped by his publisher. He had to change his name for exactly. a while to yeah. Peter Straub. Yeah. Um, and so he, he also is a big believer in that, uh, in the, in that uh, habitual exercise. And one more quote from, Linda, uh, from Laura Vanderkam. Before the rest of the world is eating breakfast, the most successful people have already scored daily victories that are advancing them toward the lives they want. Very simple sentence, but it says yeah. everything I've been saying. Yeah, no, and I think that's, I think that's really important, uh, advancing them towards the lives they want and this idea that, that there's, you, you can mine time uh, by getting up extra early. And we've talked about a lot of guys that get up early, uh, a lot of guys that get up at 3.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. And in order to do that, you have to go to sleep at like 8 or 9 o'clock. But let me ask, I mean, I'll, I'll answer this question for myself, but and I think you should, everybody, everybody listening right now should ask this to yourself. What are you really getting done after 9 p.m.? Or right. whatever yeah. your 9 p.m. Yeah. is. I don't know, yeah. wherever yeah. your, whatever kind of shift you work. What are you really getting done after you've been back from work for three hours or four hours? Because for me, it's, I'm watching a little bit of Netflix. Now, as an actor, I do need to watch movies. I need to know what's going on sure. out there. I need to see what's, so there, there's, a, there's a part of that that is, that is a little bit of work. But for the most part, there's a lot of wasted time for me between the hours of 8.30 p.m. and 11 p.m., let's say. There's no reason I need to be going to bed at 11 p.m. That, I, and, when, and what that will do is it'll get me up earlier if I can go to bed earlier. And I'm taking that wasted time and I'm turning it into productive time. And another thing that Laura Vanderkam says about those, about those morning rituals is you should actually do the things that are not emergent. Do the things that do not need to be done that day. Do the things that you always put off. If you want to write a book, if you think you have the great American novel in your head, if you want to um, start a business or whatever, do that in the time in the morning before, before anybody, any of your actual life emails start to get in the way, before people start calling you, when nobody's expecting you to, nobody expects you to return an email at 5 o'clock in the morning. So if you've been up at 4, that's when you do the stuff mm-hmm. that you have always wanted to do but keep putting off. And maybe that's exercising because you've always wanted a big physique. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what that is, whatever that answer is for you. But if you do that in the morning, you're trading the time that you wasted at, at night, that you're normally wasting at night between, you know, after 9 p.m., and you're trading it for that early morning time when you can be super productive. Yeah, another one of uh, Laura's quotes that you sent me, was a, I think it was a piece from her book, was we have to fix our relationship with our phones, especially in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 because what happens is, we know from data, right, that's it's been, been out like for the last two, two or three weeks now, that it, the first thing most of us do when we wake up is check our email. And, and especially if you're a, a CEO, right, or even, yeah. you know, even a manager or whatever, or, or just a worker at a big corporation, you're going to have 10 or 12 emails in there. Absolutely. And it's going to hijack you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And so that, so that early morning thing, that, that just underscores it, right? And Tim Ferriss is, I think, one of the guys that said, don't check your email. That's the first thing you should do in the first, morning. Yeah, first of all, I have to say before we continue, we love Tim Ferriss. Congratulations on everything. But try it when you have three kids at home like Gib. I yeah, mean, what's right. <laughs> well, your mushroom coffee but, and, your, but, and your keto this. And go ahead. But, but look, I, it's, it, it's, it's just another thing that I have to deal with. But getting up early is a great way to get around that. 
You know, and and, and now look, it, for those of you who are in the life stage that I'm in, I know that there are always emergent problems. Like, I, I can't control that I'm going to have a kid that's going to throw up at midnight and then I'm going to be up you all night. You can count on it. I know, right? <laughs> and if you, the more kids you have, the more likely one of them is going to end up in your bed at four o'clock in the morning right. with a tummy ache. Yeah. Or, or yeah. It just, it's just, that's life. But um, the more you have a plan, the more you have scheduled, the more you have this idea of a ritual in place, the easier it is to work around that. Yeah. The easier it is to continue to be productive. Because let me tell you something, nobody cares at the end of the day your your bank account doesn't care that your kid was sick in the morning. Your your boss, unless they're very nice, very rarely cares if that that your kid was sick. They have they have a job that you need to do. You have a job. Like if you're a, if you're a surgeon, your patient doesn't care that your kid was sick the night before. Your patient cares whether or not the surgery was successful. Right, right. You need to find workarounds if you want to be excellent. And um, getting up early is a great way for me to get ahead of my kids. Mm-hmm. And the the other thing that 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 getting up early does because. We, try, we talk all the time about email health, right, and phone health, and turning off notifications and buzzers during the day. It's a big mantra for us. It's a big mantra for all of these people that we're quoting. This idea that our, our addiction to our phones, our addiction to being, communicated, to being in communication with people, to being available for communication 100% of the day is, is a serious problem in our world right now in, our, in, our, in terms of our mental health. The problem is you can't really get away with that during the day. I have a hard time turning my email off during the day because the expectation is I need to respond to email quickly yeah, and yeah. in real time. And that's, that's an expectation of, of our we, business. We, I mean, especially, I mean, we're, we're in a family business, so mm-hmm. we're, we're responsible for, and we're, we have 300 radio stations right. that are counting on us, so there might be, a, there might be something, oh, John, Gabe, you got to get this done right now. Yeah. And so if you're not connected, it's, yeah. So the nice thing about the morning is nobody's expect nobody in their right mind expects you to respond to an email at five thirty in the morning. Right. Nobody does. Yeah. So you can take that time and practice good email health in this period of time that nobody's expecting responses. And then and you can then batch your emails for the morning. Maybe you're going to do your emails, but you don't have to respond to the ones that come in freshly. So you have all of your emails done and they go out at nine a.m. And you there are all kinds of email programs that'll let you do it. But the bottom line is those early morning hours are the healthiest you could possibly be mentally. Because you can control the constant dinging and distractions that we have. Now, those of you who are, are, are parents, especially young parents, and even us, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, our, our youngest child now is uh, is, is twenty four, Prima, uh, and we still worry about her when she when, when she's mm-hmm. out. So the I, when they when they hear us talking about this, I'm sure parents and grandparents are thinking, well, "Wait a second, I can't shut my phone right. you know, off." But it, and all it takes is just go to the Apple Store or Google it or whatever. Give taught me how to do it. You can put your phone on Do Not Disturb, but you can let certain calls through. Yep. So it's the dinging that's that's, that's squirting right. the dopamine into our you know into our bodies. Um, you know, in this Joe Dispenza book, and it, it was great when he starts talking about um, about visualization. Um, you know, he he actually addresses the whole morning thing where he says, you know, before you go to bed, he's a big fan. We can talk about journaling too. I know you wanted to do that, and you and you're a journaling king. Um, but uh, before you go to bed, if you don't write down like what you're worried about or what you plan on doing tomorrow, your subconscious mind is going to work on that for you and you're not going to have as good a night, a night's sleep. So what Dispenza says is uh, visualize your day, t- uh, you know, the next, the next day. Um, and so I've really been exploring, looking back at my life as I'm, as I'm reading this book and, and realizing that I sort of accidentally, because I, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid, I was basically mm-hmm. an only child. I, my sisters were so much older than me that I would visualize myself, uh, you know, in certain scenarios. And I wanted to, if you don't mind, I wanted to, to read um, like just a, a quick thing that I'm working on now for the uh, for the book. The book is tentatively tentatively titled "Relentless," 
Um, and so I'm, I, I, this is this is a scoop. Is oh, yeah. everybody excited? <laughs> I haven't even heard. I'm you, not sure you, if I've heard this. You, you this have, is a little you, insight. You, you haven't edited it yet for me. At the time of this writing, I write. There are more than 30 books available on Amazon on the practice of visualization, creative visual, visualization, healing visualizations, prayer and visualization. Uh, Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One, where Dispenza combines the fields of quantum physics, neuroscience, brain chemistry, prayer, and meditation to show us what is truly possible. Now, in August of 1994, those books did not exist, but visualization and especially scripture-based prayers were, I believe, what helped me create Live at Red Rocks, which ended up being one of the most watched pledge programs in PBS history. Truth be told, I had no mental methodology, no master plan for the Red Rocks event. Mm. It's just that the dream I had brought forward from my childhood years was so vivid, so graphic, that it appeared to me in living color every day. In the years since the Red Rocks endeavor, I've held a fascination for high-level thinkers and athletes who have intentionally used these, quote, movies in your head to create a special type of focus and intensity. Now, Gib, you know this story. One of my favorite examples is that of Olympic swimming champion Michael Phelps. When Phelps was a teenager, his coach, Bob Bowman, would tell him to, quote, go watch the videotape before you go to sleep and when you wake up. Now, the videotape was not real, but it was the mental visualization of the perfect race. Phelps would imagine diving off the blocks and in slow motion, swimming flawlessly. He would visualize the strokes, the pool, the finish. He would lie in bed with his eyes shut and watch the entire yeah. completion down to the smallest details. I got chills. During practice, when Bowman would want Phelps to swim at race speed, he would shout during the race, put in the videotape. So Bowman did not need to control all aspects of Phelps' life. All he had to do was focus on a few specific habits that it had everything to do with creating the right mindset. Since I had spent so much time alone as a child, creating things in my head was a muscle I had used often. I did, look it, available where, where? Where can people buy this book? <laughs> so that's from. What's John, everything we're talking about? I know. Yeah, I know. I, well, so I mean, clearly, as you guys can tell, we have become obsessed with this idea of the process of great people, and this is this is another example of of, of Phelps and this 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 idea of visualization. Um, but everybody, everybody. Everybody that has accomplished something had a vision for what it yeah. should be. You have to be able to uh -huh. see it, uh -huh. and then and see it when nobody else can. And and a, a big feature of your book, as you as you alluded to in that passage, is is creating red rocks and sort of creating a music career for yourself where nobody else really saw one. Well, and I had to become somebody else. I mean, right. I, I was that person, right? But but I was the guy that read the celebrity birthdays on yeah. on television, and the only way to create that other person was to uh, was to do you know something crazy you know, like that well one, one of the reasons why again why you guys what? need to buy this book when it comes no, out is you, what you may not what john is most known for i mean in, in addition to intelligence for your life a life which i think you i think you created whole cloth and, and like and like doing um but what he's most famous for uh especially prior to that was obviously entertainment tonight it was nationally syndicated it was a, yeah, i mean it was yeah. a huge ratings juggernaut with the years that he was on it you're in the room for the years that you were on it, <laughs> right? I mean, it was this thing, but I think it was probably, and I, and no insult to what you did there and, and the lives you impacted, it's probably the least fulfilling thing you did in your, uh, in your career. It was definitely, I was definitely on, on autopilot. Right. Because you, you there were 9,000 writers that wrote the stuff and you could, you would edit it, but you didn't have to come up with, right. you didn't have to scoop anybody. There was nothing out. longer than 12 and a half minutes long. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then, and that was all, it was sort of all kind of done. You just kind of read, went, walked in and read the teleprompter. I mean, I watched you work while you were there, and I, I, it's a great show. I, I watched the work you put in. It's not, it's not the easiest job in the world, but it's not, it wasn't fulfilling you creatively. I can I, just see you, though, standing on the set at like 14 or 15 years old, and after, and after I finished the show going, 
That's it. Yeah, we were done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so the 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 point is that that was something you just you were kind of doing and a part of your career that you kind of fell into. But there's so many more things that you've created that have required the kind of attention and the the small steps that we're talking about. And Red Rocks, I think, is is probably the 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 biggest, most uh, what's the, what's the word I'm for? most dynamic example in your life. That's I mean, a there, break breakthrough event. Yeah, because yeah. the yeah. radio show was a was a train that you had to get going, but it was a train that that revved itself. The the Red Rock situation was a firecracker. I mean, that yeah, was a rocket yeah, ship yeah. because you went from from having done some of the music for some of the sporting events that you covered to being a full-on touring musician because of Red Rocks. But, you know, uh, and I'm sure you, I, I, we could go through all of your favorite actors and, and, and the people that you, you would see yourself, uh, you know, as you, as you continue to break through in the, in the entertainment world, uh, you know, acting movies and, and, and television. But um, I, when, when that book came out by uh, Austin Kleon, Steal Like an Artist, mm-hmm. I read that book and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is, this is me. And that's another one of our favorite books where it's basically... Look at the people. I, the reason I'm bringing this up is that I saw uh, three tenors uh, in Rome, and I mm-hmm. saw Yanni in the Acropolis, and I said, that's what I'm going to do. I, yeah. I, I didn't know all of this. Oh, and I saw uh, U2's Under a Blood Red Sky in, uh, at Red Rocks 1983. I saw the, mm-hmm. the, the film, the concert film, and then I saw Moody Blues in, uh, in 1992 at Red Rocks, and I said, well, that's the place, and I'll just do what Yanni and, and the three tenors and everything right. So. It was like, I mean, there was my music, right? Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just, okay, let me just go down this path. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what that book is about is, is steal what you can, not, not plagiarize, but, right. but, but be inspired by other people's uh, successes. Well, one of the things my, my acting coach talks about is, is Ed Norton unabashedly talks about how he gets his performance in every role you've ever seen him do. And he, Ed Norton is as good an actor as there is, yep. um, as talented a guy as there is. There is somebody he's copying in every single one of his performances. Now, you may not see that. You may not realize that. But in his mind, he's just blatantly ripping off the, the performances, whatever it might be, which should give you a sense of, of if you really are an artist, if you're a great artist at stealing, it's not about copying and pasting. It's not right. about plagiarizing. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but, and, and actually, one of the things that I think is so detrimental about these copyright uh, lawsuits that have been going on in the music business lately where where an where a musical concept is taken by an artist and stolen and and re and redone in its own song and they're getting they're losing the money for it yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I don't want to get even too specific but the the two big cases I can think of right now are um, Ed Sheeran and and Marvin Gaye's estate and then also uh, well it's also Marvin Gaye yeah and, yeah. Uh, and Robin Thick right and there was also one uh, from a Ghostbusters uh, that though yeah. That was right on. That was plagiarism. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, you know, I, th- I think there's a difference between... It was... Um, uh, Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis, yeah. yeah. That's right. uh, I, want, I want a new drug. There it is. <laughs> that, so there's a difference. And I actually think that, that uh, Rick James versus Vanilla Ice, he should have lost that. Oh, yeah. no. Or is it under pressure? Uh, I can't, anyway, we're getting, I'm getting in the weeds here. The point being, I actually think that there's something really valuable in absorbing the art that's around you mm-hmm. and spitting it out... Uh, it, through yourself, as long as you're not copying and pasting, I think there's something really, really genuine in that. There's something really kind of 
that's the way that's the way art's kind of supposed to be is your own spin on what on the human condition is there a, is there a performer is there an actor that you have in your mind when you're or, or do you do you switch around from from one to the other when you're performing or when you're preparing uh, I switch around but by my my favorite one of my favorite guys to watch um, is I like Michael Fassbender I think I think oh the, gosh he's, he's so he he's so good uh, when he's when he's really good I also he he, he was Steve Jobs he was Steve Jobs right? yeah. he was he was he was the replicant in uh, in the Alien movie too or Alien yeah. movies right yeah yeah also uh, Oscar Isaac is turning in some really good work and I don't know if you guys saw Inside Lewin Davis uh, it was a Coen Brothers film and mm-hmm. he was phenomenal in where he had to play guitar and sing and just he was great um, uh, and Fassbender is also a young Magneto in the right. X Men yeah, series yeah. and the thing that really got me about him is if I don't know if you've seen X Men First Class fine movie I actually really like X Men movies I think the acting in them is is fine but he and James McAvoy play a young um, a, a young uh, Magneto and a young Xavier, uh, respectively. And there is a scene where the two of them are talking, and the acting is so good between the two of them, it's like they're in a different movie from everybody oh, else great. in the movie. Yeah, everybody yeah. else is in yeah. a superhero movie that's and doing great. kind of campy great. stuff, and they turn in this unbelievable performance between the two of them in this one scene they have together, and it, it's just so unbelievably clear. And then I, I really like, I know he had some personal issues, but I really like Brando. Um, and if you want to see a great example of an actor that was so much better than the world that surrounded him, uh, uh, a wild one is is a great one. It's about a motorcycle gang, yeah. and he everybody else is doing this kind of like, hey, see, hey, ha ha, the old the old fifties forties style mm-hmm. acting, mm-hmm. and he is doing the Stanislavski very not to get super actor nerdy here, but he's doing this very true to form. Um, uh, truth-based acting, where, right. where it's uh, hyper-realism, and it, it, it stands out um, with him and even Marie Saint stand out from the rest of the cast. Well, you were talking about Ed, Ed Norton as an actor doing, doing tributes to different actors mm-hmm. in every, every different role, it's, and it's, sometimes it's hard to see it. It's definitely not hard to see uh, Keith Richard in uh, Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Johnny, oh, yeah. De- Johnny Depp uh, becomes Keith Richards. Yeah, Johnny Depp does a great job of doing a <laughs> Keith Richards impersonation in that movie. Pirates. Yeah. Uh, in every Pirates and, movie. And every Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And, it, and it, it's honestly, it's, it's what makes it so endearing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've used up a lot of our time here. I, and, we really uh, have. Yeah, and I, um, I'd love to continue this, and, and we'd love to see, your, uh, see and hear and, and, uh, and answer your questions and comments, um, and Gib's going to tell you how to do that. Well, okay, so first of all, today's show features me, Gib Gerard, and of course, <laughs> John Tesh. If you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is uh, online, obviously, because it's, it's the 21st century, so online is the best way. You can find our, our, most of our conversations are going on at facebook.com slash John Tesh. It is where we are the most involved. We do Facebook Lives all the time, all kinds of videos. Um, you can also find me at, just me, at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, uh, at John Tesh on Twitter, at Gib Gerard, G-I-B-G-E-R-A-R-D, on every other platform, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, uh, what else? Oh, uh, if you like this show, please tell your friends about it. If you have topic ideas, you can hit us up at any of those places, tesh.com, facebook.com slash John Tesh, where you can reach out to me personally. Go ahead and find us on those platforms and let us know what you want us to talk about, what other things you'd like us to talk about. But most importantly, rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. If you don't like the show, I don't know why you listened for the last hour. That's incredible. What are you doing listening to our show for an hour if you don't like it? Leave us alone. Thank you guys for listening. I-F-Y-L. Intelligence for your life.